Hello, hello. Welcome back to Retrieving Sanity with your host, Liam Crow. And today's interview, we have Jose Contreras. Contreras. <laughs> so um, let's see. Let's start with uh, how old are you and where are you from? I am 40 and I'm from Dallas, Texas. Okay. Uh, are you like originally from Dallas, Dallas or kind of a transplant? Well, I was born in Plano. Uh, and then grew up in Carrollton, but I spent the greater part of my life in Dallas. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I guess Metroplex is kind of all Dallas, so so right. Fair. Um, what was your uh, DOC, if I may ask? Uh, it was alcohol for me. I can feel that. Same here. <laughs> it's not a fun one. It's socially acceptable, but not fun. Right. Um, and how long would you say you were in active addiction? I would probably say that I was in my active addiction for about 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Sounds about right for me, too. Yeah. So, um, real quick, do you got any, like, stories that had a good ending? Or is addiction just a bunch of doom and gloom on your behalf? For me, is pretty doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. I don't think there was ever... Anytime that I drank, that I actually had a positive end result. <laughs> uh, did it start off kind of fun for you, or was it an escape from reality? It actually started pretty fun for me. Um, I was in a fraternity in college and did all the social normal things. Um, but then whenever I graduated college and got into my first job um i started to drink more and more um more days of the week mm. and then those more days of the week <laughs> ended up every day um etc so um that's kind of how it was for me okay um do you think that uh alcohol would be considered a gateway drug for you or uh did it lead to anything else I uh, guess. for me it didn't because alcohol really? was it for me huh. uh, i never messed with any kind of other drugs so oh well i'd say you're lucky <laughs> <laughs> but that's really good to hear uh sucks to hear that it was 10 years but uh do you see your addiction having been more of a blessing in recovery or do you think there's still some things you would go back and change entirely. I think it was more at first I used to think it was like a curse, mm -hmm. but I don't think I would be where I am professionally and in life and at peace with myself. If I wouldn't have gone through everything that I've gone through, mm -hmm. which had to deal with alcohol. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you're in Oxford Housing. Uh, you play a pivotal role in Oxford House in Chapter 4. Uh, could you tell me, I mean, I know, but for the view, uh, listeners and stuff, could you say what Oxford is and like what it means to you as an individual? Sure. So Oxford is a democratically run, uh, self-supporting, uh, sober living uh, organization. Um, 
every house is unique mm-hmm. that is in Oxford. Uh, we all follow the same model, but there's variations with every house, um, which that's the unique part about Oxford. So there's a fit for pretty much everyone. Um, and specifically, um, it's a game changer. Um, it's I've seen it do some amazing things for so many people and um, for myself. Um, but it's just uh, such a beautiful thing that if you put in the work in your own program of, re- of recovery and then also what you're supposed to do in Oxford, mm-hmm. I think that it's just a game changer. It 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 does some amazing things. I'd have to agree and thank you for the insight. Um, so whenever you first got sober, were you immediately in with Oxford or what did your, uh, your walk of more, the first steps of your recovery kind of look like? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first got sober in 2018, I knew that I needed it, that I needed to go somewhere that was not home. Mm-hmm. So I took all the steps next necessary for me to get into Oxford and got right in. Um, okay. And that's, that's kind of the way it's been ever since. Um, I did unfortunately have a relapse back mm-hmm. in 2021, but I got straight into treatment and, um, also went straight into Oxford and that's where I'm in the house that, you know, we're in together. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so would you say that with Oxford being so prominent for you, uh, would you say that it's a necessary part of your recovery or, uh, do you kind of see it as like a sub, not a substitute, but a supplement for everything else that you do in recovery? I think that it's a supplement, but it's also necessary for me. Okay. Um, if that makes any kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because I work my program. Um, I work with my sponsor. I have a sponsee. And um, just being of service to Oxford, it just takes me out of myself Mm-hmm. And allows me to do good for others, um, okay, and to kind of put my my own little spiel on what Oxford is mm-hmm. and get everyone excited for it. Okay, um, would you say that uh, being involved in Oxford is kind of like a uh, an evolution of the twelfth step for you? Uh, so it's not really like sponsoring, but it's still carrying the message and helping out guys in need, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's like, you know, like you're saying, an extension of the 12th step and um, just allows you to reach much more mm-hmm. than you would in your home group or any group that you might visit. Okay. Um, so... Let's get back to the alcoholism part. Um, Mm -hmm. Whenever you first started getting sober, uh, was it difficult for you to, like, say, go to a gas station or 
Walmart and the beer wine aisle, uh, did you have things that really sit there and kind of pull at you or uh, did you kind of just like white knuckle it or what did you do to help yourself in the first bit of recovery? Actually, I never have had a problem. Um, okay. It's like I hit my rock bottom, mm-hmm. knew, knew that I needed help, and took the steps necessary. And, I mean, I, I was a server when I first got into recovery oh. and worked around alcohol, so it was never a temptation. Okay. Um, on the contrary, it kind of made me sit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've always found it kind of funny how some people can be alcoholics but still be a bartender. I'm almost like, uh, that's got to be like either iron willpower or their higher powers doing wonders in their life outside of work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so whenever uh, I've heard addicts compare drug choices and rock bottoms, uh, in my opinion, that's something to not do uh i feel as if it's more important to find the common ground and actually build from there and not try to belittle each other because i've heard people say well at least i didn't put a needle in my arm and other people said well at least i actually had a job and stuff like that uh what's your take on uh situations like that to me it's all the same (laughs) i mean (laughs) just because someone put a needle in their arm doesn't make it any uh, different than me opening the bottle <laughs> and taking a drink. Uh, we're going to end up in the same place mm-hmm. and the same kind of trouble um, with the same kind of consequences. Fair enough. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, I first heard that while I was at uh, the Men of Nehemiah and someone interjected with, look at where you're both at. Right. We're in a South Dallas rehab. Like, right. no one's better than another here. It's true. <laughs> I would have to agree. Um, so, tell me, do you have any uh, long-term goals or short, uh, short-term goals that you're kind of looking forward to? Yes. So, um, I'm an interior designer, mm-hmm. and right now I work for a pretty prominent firm um but i'm still building a name for myself Mm -hmm. a long-term goal um would to be on my own okay and to have my own firm with my own clients and i guess that would be long term short term is um i feel that within the next two to three years i'd like to be a homeowner okay um and that doesn't mean that i would like to do it on my own Mm -hmm. my goal is to um, take one of the good friends and relationships that i've built in oxford Mm -hmm. and bring that along with me as you know a companion roommate Mm -hmm. um in my you know in my home so that i have that extra accountability because Mm -hmm. i know where uh being on my own will get me yeah. or the loneliness will get me. So fair enough. That's, those are my goals. <laughs> it's always good to have an accountability buddy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like those goals and I think that's something everyone should aspire to. Um, do you feel that it is absolutely necessary for you to have, uh, not, uh, 
do you feel it's uh, necessary to not be in your own head? Uh, as in, like, whenever you're there, do you find solitude and peace, or is it always kind of like a hurricane in there? For me, it's a hurricane. All the time? All the time. So I try to meditate and um, pray and get myself out of my head mm-hmm. and uh, keep myself busy, um, whether that's uh, being of service, taking a phone call for a friend, mm-hmm. um, watching one of my favorite influencers <laughs> on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't like being in my head because, uh, being in my head is probably what's gotten me to some pretty sticky situation situations. Fair enough. Um, do you mind sharing what's, uh, one of the no feel good stories? Uh, the one that had the biggest lesson for you to learn. Huh. I mean, there's a lot (laughs) equally so bad. Um, and you're wanting to know something that had uh, Uh, some kind of like lesson at the end of it, because I know for some of us it was like a pattern that repeated until we Mm -hmm. got it right, and then for others it was like, oh hey, well that was new. I'm not doing that again. Uh, anything like that. I would say right before I got sober in 2018, I just was so in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. You know, I had the luxury apartment in, you know, uh, a nice area in Dallas, um, but I just couldn't do it anymore. So... I decided that it would be a good idea to uh, break my lease. Uh, Yeah, leave. uh, I think it was like a month and a half before the lease was up. And go to an extended stay motel. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, needless to say... That decision is kind of what catapulted me getting sober because after about two weeks of living in that misery, having like all kinds of drug deals and Mm. sketchy situations (laughs) going on around me, Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to stop. So um, one evening I decided that enough wasn't enough and um i threw away what i had of my bottle and let myself start going to dt's Mm. um packed up all my stuff during that process um took my like two suitcases and stood outside and called 911 oh wow Um, and you know that kind of crappy situation and that bad decision of breaking my lease and all Mm -hmm. those consequences turned into kind of the best thing that could ever happen because, you know, yes, I ended up in the hospital and ICU for like a week. Um, It kind of was a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. because I remember 
the day I was getting discharged, I had burnt all my bridges. No one wanted to be my friend. My family was done with me. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, my mom called me like two hours before I was getting discharged. And when I was getting discharged, Mm. I knew that I needed to go to rehab. Um, But I had no money. Uh Didn't know how I was going to get there. I was in the hospital, like in Carrollton, and the only place that I knew that might take me was Turtle Creek, which was downtown, and I didn't know how I was going to get there. Uh And so, out of nowhere, my mom calls me, and she's like, hey, I know that you're in the hospital. When do you get discharged? And I told her, and she was like, listen... Um, I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if your dad ever found out, but Mm. I'm going to sneak you into the house and you're going to spend the night in the house in your grandma's room and we'll get up at like four in the morning and take you to rehab. Oh, wow. And it it happened exactly like that. And I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened. Um, that's why I'm always so grateful and so thankful for my mom. Mm -hmm. And I have that relationship with my mom now because if it wouldn't have been for her, I might be homeless or God knows what would have been of me. Yeah. That's quite a story. Uh, it seems like your higher power definitely works in ways that were perfectly timed. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you got to love mothers. I think they're some of the only people that really give unconditional love. Yeah. Uh, And so that's good that you have a relationship back with her. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually get a lot of her cooking too, don't you? I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Uh, So what's your favorite dish then? My favorite dish that my mom makes is probably her lasagna. Lasagna. That's really good. Never would have thought lasagna. <laughs> My mom knows good like anything. Fair enough. Yeah. So, on your uh, earlier steps of recovery, what were some of the bigger challenges for you? Was it uh, like, uh, well, of course, being in Turtle Creek, but was it something that was all external forces such as like needing a job or having a bad day at work uh or what was it that kind of pushed you out of the first steps like the biggest obstacles to me they weren't the um any of the outside obstacles all of what were the biggest things for me were all internal okay and things that i needed to work on um, things that I would get frustrated about, um, why I couldn't get past some things, mm-hmm. um, why I couldn't fully let go and let God take over. Mm-hmm. Um, those were some of my biggest struggles. Okay. But, you know, I had an amazing sponsor that, you know, got me to see things in a different way. And, you know, uh, by trusting in my higher power, I got through it. Okay. Um, so with your sponsor, uh, what step would you say is the hardest one for you? Because most people say it's like four and five. For me, I found nine to be kind of difficult. 
I would agree with you on nine. Um, because nine actually will linger for a while, <laughs> especially if you don't have contact and relationships with some of those people mm-hmm. because of the shit that I'm, <laughs> you're good. That? Yeah. Yeah. You're good. It's <laughs> some of the stuff that, that you've done. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I would say that that definitely is a lot harder of a step than four and five, because yeah, it might be embarrassing to let someone else know all of your shenanigans. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, um, it's like a weight comes off of you. Mm-hmm. That you feel like you can breathe and you feel um, at peace. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have a lot of those moments where you thought you knew how the amends was going to go and then it totally did not go that way, either good or bad? Um, I'll have to say that I'm, I'm the kind of person that always prepares for the worst. Ah, anxiety, the best. (laughs) Right. So, um, I always prepared for the worst and sometimes I'd say like one or two of them were just as bad, if not worse than what I thought. Oh no. But for the most part. All the other ones were completely different than what I prepared myself for. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, how did you know who you needed to make an amends to? Uh, my sponsor, he tells me, if you're walking down a grocery store aisle and you see someone, if you have to turn around to avoid them, you need to make an amends. Right. And uh, I would say it was similar for me okay. because there were so many people that I did shitty things or said really bad things to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of people that uh, I couldn't quite look in the eye. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with your sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whenever you first said that to me, I was like, Oh man, like how many store aisles can I like avoid? And then he said, how much shopping do you got to do? And I was like, eh. right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's see, uh, so step four and five are difficult, uh, Mm -hmm. for a lot of people because they have to put, uh, their, uh, resentments down, their sex inventory and all that. Um, and I've always heard some people having like 60 pages worth of those. And I felt like I didn't have a whole lot, but then my sponsor told me it's okay to not have 60 pages because i'm not going to listen to all of them anyways and but he said it is important that you get the major ones down uh do you feel like you forgot anything your first time around or have you redone your step work with your sponsor since you first got sober yes absolutely okay. um i've been through the steps now three times three times thrice uh tres veces. <laughs> uh but the first time I thought I was thorough, my sponsor mm. then, which is not the sponsor that I have now, uh-huh. um, I had like two of those, uh, like the school notebook journals full. Oh, whoa. Right. He didn't listen to all of them. <laughs> he made me think that I was going to like read all of those things to him mm. and he didn't. 
we ended up tossing them over the uh, Lake Louisville Bridge. So um, you weren't littered? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, hopefully the police are not listening to that. <laughs> I don't think they'll really care. They're just going to find a notebook with like, oh, it looks like someone's journal. Right. Uh, what was symbolic about throwing it over the ledge? Or was there a symbology behind that? Or Yeah, because I put it all down. Mm-hmm. I took thought, uh, several weeks thought into everything that I wrote down. And in a sense, it was uh, freeing. Um, because the majority of the real important stuff, I wrote mm-hmm. down first. Um, okay. And it wasn't like the little minute details here and there that I added in afterwards um, because my sponsor kept telling me, are you sure? (laughs) And um, so, yeah, um, I I felt a sense of uh, peace Mm -hmm. and just being done and over with, but it, uh, but I, I did, I did forget some things because, Mm. you know, there is a reason um that you know i ended up relapsing in 2021 mm-hmm. um some things that i had uh thought i gotten past and that i had really not mm-hmm. um so it was uh with my now sponsor that i was able to really address those things and get past um you know those things that um are character defects that I work on on a regular basis and that okay. I I can now look at me myself on the mirror and I truly like who I see. I may not be perfect, but um I definitely am okay with the guy that I see in the mirror. That's good. Uh I believe self-image is and self-acceptance is huge in recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh cuz I feel like uh, the term addict and alcoholic is really applicable, especially in early recovery, right. because it helps build a foundation upon which you build your new identity on. Right. But you don't have to continuously be that thing because uh, someone once told me, uh, I'm not an alcoholic. Alcoholics go to classes. And <laughs> so he just said he was just a drunk. And I was like, but isn't that the exact same thing? Same thing. Yeah. And he was just afraid of the name, and he eventually went to rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took him hitting rock bottom to get there. And right. whenever I saw him come out, he had the same outlook you did. Like, he was okay with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, did it take some time to come to terms with, like, you, you? Uh, as in, like... Uh, if you go to the gym every day and you look in the mirror, you don't see the progress, but other people do. Right. Was it kind of the same thing for you? You didn't really see the changes and someone else saw it first. For me, um, it kind of went like hand in hand because the better that I got at working at myself, the more relationships uh, blossomed, the more Mm. that, people saw the change in me uh-huh. and that they wanted to be back in my life. Like, you know, my parents, mm-hmm. my siblings. Um, so I think that they went hand in hand for me because okay. um, 
I knew that if I wasn't putting in the work and if I was like stagnant, um, I could tell because mm. those not, those beautiful things that happened, the promises wouldn't have happened. And um, to me, they went hand in hand. Okay. Um. So, uh, uh, I had the question. Uh, hand in hand. Oh, um. Well, <laughs> hang on. That train has left the conductor. Um, let's see. What would you say was your hardest character defect to get around? I think my hardest character defect is uh, being a people pleaser. Ooh. And learning when to set a boundary mm-hmm. and to say no, because it's a complete sentence and it doesn't require <laughs> an explanation. No is a complete sentence? Yes. Huh. I've never heard of that. <laughs> I guess it makes sense. So, yeah. Um, Try it out. No. <laughs> did I did I use that sentence right? You did. Okay. You did. <laughs> um. So... Whenever we talk about some of the harder things to do in recovery, um, what do you think is the easiest to do? Um, is it like doing fellowship, uh, keeping in touch with other people? And I just remembered the question I had. Well, say uh, it before you... Okay, so the question is, as you were getting better and people wanted to get back into your life, was there anyone or a few people that you said, well, you didn't... Like, you pushed me out, so I'm respecting your boundaries. You wanted me out, I'm out. You can't get Mm -hmm. me back. Or did you accept everyone that wanted you back in? I think I accepted everyone that wanted me back in, but I tread lightly. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Not walking on eggshells, but just sitting there and just vigilant. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, what is the easiest part of recovery for you if there is one to me um honestly the the easiest is calling my sponsor oh yeah (laughs) because a lot of people uh they find that so difficult um because they don't want to take their Mm -hmm. sponsor's guidance um but for me uh i'm completely willing um okay i i listen and i do what i'm told and I found that it's successful, so I just keep <laughs> on doing it. I'm not going to like uh, veer away from uh, what I've been doing and what I know that works. Okay. Um, so you have a sponsor. Do you have sponsees? I have one sponsee. Okay. Uh, how do you like doing the 12th step? Because I know for some people, they don't ever feel like they're ready for step 12. But it's kind of like, are you waiting to have kids whenever you're absolutely ready? Because if so, it's never going to happen, right? Right. Well, I mean, you can't keep what you have if you're not Mm -hmm. willing to give things away. And Mm -hmm. you share um, that experience. Because I get so much growth in myself and... 
there are times that I need my sponsee more than I feel like he may need me. Uh. Because um, it's those phone calls that I get when he's struggling mm-hmm. that, you know, take me out of my head, like uh-huh. we were talking about earlier, and um, take me out of myself and... Um, you know, share the guidance that my sponsors shared with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that feels really good. Um, so I would say that, you know, in the 12 step, I don't, I don't think that <laughs> is that difficult. Fair enough. I, I honestly like doing step 12 because it's kind of fun and it kind of shows you, you again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember talking to one of the guys at Nehemiah and some of the stuff he said, I was like, man, you got a lot to learn. Right. But then I had to sit there and look and was like, oh, yeah, I said the same thing. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so in recovery, a lot of people say you have to surrender everything. Uh, some people see surrender as being weak. I've come to find, uh, I've come to found, <laughs> I've come <laughs> to find out that surrender is both willingness but also being open while being steadfast at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does surrender mean to you in your recovery? For me in my recovery, it means give it all. Give Surrender it all. It all. Okay. Um, because what? if I have any part in it, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't even give directions to the guy driving? No. <laughs> Do you at least ask them, are we there yet? <laughs> um, I, I, I practice my patience. Fair enough. Um, so what would you say is the, uh, let me erase that little part. Um, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to friends and family of a addict or alcoholic at this point? I think that I would um I would give them the advice uh to give someone hard love. Hard love. Because if I didn't have the hard love and I know so many of my friends, if they wouldn't have had hard love mm-hmm. by those that love them, mm-hmm. um I don't think that um I don't think that we'd be where we are without that um, because as difficult as it may be that you feel like you're not supported by those that love you, mm-hmm. um, you know, you want to do better so that, you know, those people will see a change in you mm-hmm. and they'll want to be back a uh, part of your life. So I would say that, you know, that's that's where I stand on that. Hard love. <laughs> Hard love. Tough love. Tough love. Um, and so what would you have to say to the addict or alcoholic themselves? I would just say, you know, be open. Uh, be open. <laughs> open. Willing. Okay. And take the guidance that your sponsor gives you. Okay. And trust in your higher power, because without all of those things, um, you know, working in unison, 
mm-hmm. um, you're not going to get very far. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing you wish you'd learned way sooner in recovery? I think <laughs> kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier is uh, when to say no. Okay. And that enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And to set healthy boundaries. Because um, I feel like my downfall and the times that I've gotten in the um, the trickiest situations, mm-hmm. it's because I didn't say no. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, the movie Yes Man. Like, I haven't seen it, but I've heard some funny things about it. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, uh, last couple questions. Um, if you could go back and change everything, like, from your childhood or whatever uh, character defect that really started off or the resentment that started all off, would you go back and try to change it? And if so, how? Or would you let everything play out and just you support yourself as a best friend and not your own worst critic? I would actually let it play out exactly the same way that it did. Because, yes, I had a a difficult time, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be where I am if I wouldn't have gone through that. Okay. And... um. You know, if I was my friend, I would have, you know, um, loved me from a distance mm. um, and let me learn and let me hit my bottom. Okay. Because um, one of our housemates actually says that a lot, uh, that you have to allow someone to hit their bottom mm-hmm. um, because... You know, if you don't, then it's almost a sense of enabling them mm-hmm. and um, kind of uh, neg- what's the word? Um, it's almost like you're not letting them live through something that mm. may be super meaningful for them to live mm-hmm. and for them to learn from. Um, and from most importantly for them to grow from mm-hmm. experience is the best teacher. Yes. Uh, it is. Even if it's a hard one. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's school of hard knocks. Uh, I mean, I got a pretty thick head, so <laughs> yeah, uh, we all have a master's degree on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember someone asked me, uh, do you feel like you need to go out and do some more research? And I was like, no, I already got a couple degrees. I'm good. Right. <laughs> um, so, last question. What do you think is the absolute most important part for a recovery walk? As in, without this one thing, is it big or is it small, but it is absolutely crucial to get this one part right? What would that be? Hmm. That's a, that's a hard it's a question. Um, cause I know a lot of parts play into it, but what is the one thing that is beyond paramount for you? I would say being of service, being of service, so being of service, Step whether 12. that's to your home group, mm-hmm. um, 
whether that's to a sober living organization, something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. um, without being of service, um, I think that we always have that tendency to go back into self because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's why most of us are, you know, addicts or alcoholics <laughs> is because we love being into ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're very selfish people. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, well, is there any last thing that you want to say, get off your chest? Um, because this, there will be a second interview. Okay. I'm trying to interview everyone at least two or three times because okay. everyone's story is different. Right. And you can't get it all in just one little bit unless we just want to do like 24 hours. And I don't know if you got the day off tomorrow because I know I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, you know, I think that one thing that's like really important is to know really put in the work Mm -hmm. um i know sometimes it may seem hard it may seem tedious sometimes it may seem like oh i don't want to call my sponsor or um you know i don't want to do my step work Mm -hmm. but you know without that foundation you can't get to the places that you want to get to um because the second that you try to take control and to do it on your own mm-hmm. um, and uh, be on your free will, uh, that's when things are going to go right back to where they were um, and sometimes worse than that. And I think that I've seen it time and time again. And I think that, you know, you and I as housemates <laughs> has seen that time and time again. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the Putting in that work is what's going to get you the results. And it's not easy work, is it? No, it's not easy work, (laughs) but it's crucial. Okay, I like that, and I'd have to agree. It is about doing the work. Yep. Uh, I've come to find out that recovery is a lot like walking up a down escalator. The moment you stop, (laughs) you start going down. Right. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Uh, Well... We shall schedule a second interview soon. Um, until then, I appreciate you and uh, wish nothing but the best for your continued walk in recovery. Thank you. And absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for being on the show because, well, we've been trying to plan this for a while. So thank yeah, you for kind of busy. It, yeah. <laughs> well, glad we got to do it. And until I see you next time, Shlon. You can say bye, too, you know. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That was fun.